Good morning, Christ Church. All right, how many of you have moved on to making turkey sandwiches? Anybody? A few of you? Thank you. Uh, it's the leftovers, right? And then they inevitably lead to using the turkey for sandwiches. And then in our house, we end up just ordering pizza because you can only have so much turkey. These Thanksgiving traditions, every year, uh, our family has been blessed to open our doors to friends who are family, uh, and this holiday was no different in that aspect, but what was different this year was we didn't cook anything, and so we had a couple of families over, and they brought food, and there were so many different flavors um, that I actually ate a lot. I, never mind. Not everybody eats a lot. I'm one of those people who, I don't eat a lot. Can you tell by my small frame? I don't. We felt the love, though. That was the important part. Um, you all know the love languages, right? You guys are familiar with the, the five love languages? Uh, the acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, words of affirmation, and physical touch. You guys are educated. You probably, most of you have already uh, taken this assessment and taking, taken other assessments. Um, what's interesting with uh, the love languages is how we best receive love is often how we give love. Uh, for years, my top one was words of affirmation. I've had to learn how to love others the way they best receive love, thanks to my wife, Angel. I love her by serving her, washing the dishes and taking out the trash. Apparently, these little things mean a whole lot to her. You can take notes. Start taking notes now, husbands, if you're new in marriage. Anyway, I wonder, is it something you're born with or maybe it's I don't know. I know it's hard to believe, but I really appreciate a solid compliment. A solid compliment. No empty platitudes, but something with substance. At one time, I craved them, but I would settle for even an empty platitude. Science would say that when you crave something, it may mean that you're deficient in something essential to your health. I was craving chocolate the other day, and so I looked up, what does it mean when you crave chocolate? And what I found online was, that when you crave chocolate, it means you're either are low on magnesium or that you had low blood sugar. So I asked my wife to get me some Almond Joys. <laughs> I did not do the magnesium, but that's okay. <laughs> I did take my vitamins, though, and that's important. Always take your vitamins. But if you crave, if we crave attention from our good deeds... The question would be then, what are we deficient in that's essential to our spiritual health? Yeah? So let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have brought us here this morning. We pray that our, that our ears are open to what you would have us here today, that our hearts would be open, that, they, that what you would have us here would sink down in, and that our hands and our feet would be prepared to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. If we were to title the sermon, it might be Humans Seeking the Heart of the King. 
So about this attention-seeking behavior, there are plenty of reasons that people do it, yeah? I think for the sake of time and efficiency, we're only going to cover one, low self-esteem. First off, seeking human validation is human. Uh, it's normal. We learn from each other uh, and are formed a community. Uh, but there's this question that we have all asked our parents, and if you ha you're a parent of little ones, they've asked you thousands of times. It's a one-word question. Why? Uh, my niece was in town, uh, and she has a two-year-old, and I enjoyed her, especially when she was asleep. Because when she was awake, she would ask the question, why, why, why? And, and sometimes, because I said so, is enough. It was for her, anyway. But the question that we want to ask ourselves is, why are we doing this righteousness? Is it to build our own self-esteem, or is it for some other reason? The number one type of photography that uh, exists today is of one's self, self-reflection. Imagine if cameras were around during Jesus' time. It might look like this or like this next one. Or, or, or maybe even this one. Right? Can you imagine them taking selfies? <laughs> if they did have cameras to take selfies, I'm sure these AI-generated images uh, wouldn't be what they really look like. I mean... We're talking about Middle Eastern guys, not... <laughs> Again, I'm not saying there's anything innately wrong about the selfie, but when your selfie looks like this, if your selfie looks like this, then there's a problem. Your reward is the likes, the clicks, the attaboys. And I know it's touching something, isn't it? To be fair, we, we can't judge another person's intention. I can't know why you did a thing, why you took the selfie of handing out the groceries. But there are some extremes that we might want to look at. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. I love that word, practice. Unlike Allen Iverson, uh, this word practice smacks of discipline, of challenging the righteousness as a regular activity. But when the practice becomes rote, we can miss the reasoning behind our activity. One doesn't have to operate with great malice to do great harm. The absence of empathy and understanding is sufficient. The people we are called to love are fellow humans, image bearers right alongside of us. Their value is an eight, in an eight. It is an eight. I know this because Psalm 100 says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. 
We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And if we go down a little further in our Ezekiel passage, down to verse 31, we are called the human sheep. He says, and you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. But that doesn't sit well with us, does it? If we're to be honest, we want to be the shepherd not the sheep. We want to be the ones who are calling the shots, not the ones being led. I am fond of this saying. I am a man under authority with authority. My authority comes at the cost of my obedience. You're going to have to serve someone to be obedient to someone. And if we've experienced hurts, what happens is we become gun shy and we would rather take the reins ourselves to never have to feel pain or discomfort again. We, we would cushion ourselves from the harsh realities of the human existence and forego patience as a result. We lose the ability to suffer well. We lose the ability to grieve with others. We lose the ability to celebrate real victories. We lose the ability to hear different perspectives than our own. And we lose the ability to truly listen. This is a part of what it means to be human. It means experiencing cold and hot. It means seeing the hurting and experiencing joy. It means sometimes leading and other times being led. It means life and death. It means sitting in the mystery. It means working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But we've all fallen victim to the sin of wanting to be the king. We want immortality, not humanity. We want to skip to the good part. Something in us wants to be seen as righteous, I would say something of us wants to be seen as infallible, right? Above it all, morally upstanding, as doing the right thing. Something in us wants to be justified as being special. But we don't always think about being right in God's eyes first. So how does self-esteem play a role in that? You've heard it said that comparison is the thief of joy. We were talking in the Bridges Out of Poverty training a few weeks ago, and we were talking about the difference between the, the poverty and middle class and the wealth class, and there's something that the, the poverty class has in abundance that the middle class and wealth class don't have. They have this relational network, right? There's a sense of camaraderie, of positively othering, of looking out for the neighbor that we 
can learn from those who are in poverty. I love that the text doesn't give us an out, right? Jesus goes on to say, when you. When you is different than if you. When you is different than if you. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? No one's sleeping? If you turn back to Matthew 6, verse 2, he says it's in your, in your, what do we call this thing? Bulletin. I was going to say handout. It's in your bulletin. He says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by other, truly others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The idea of, of giving to the needy is a Hebrew word, zedekah, or zedekah. Depends on where you put the emphasis. Which is charity in the spirit of uprightness or justice. According to the Mosaic conception, wealth I'm stepping on toes. Ready? Wealth is a loan from God, and the poor have a certain claim on the possessions of the rich, while the rich are positively enjoined to share God's bounties with the poor. A systematic mode of relief of the needy was, therefore, provided by the law and by the institutions of the synagogue. Jesus goes on to say, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Many of us aren't necessarily worried about that second part, right? How many of you are, are concerned that you're going to be considered a hypocrite because you're praying on street corners? No takers? Any takers? Street corner prayers? No? That, not one? One person. Thank you. Two people. All right. Anybody else want to go? Three people. Yes, I see that hand. All right. I can imagine you're saying you won't catch me praying for somebody on a street corner, but I want to encourage you that praying for people in public is a worthwhile endeavor, but one that isn't done for accolades, rather done for the care of the person that's in need. On so few occasions has someone that I've offered to pray for turned me down. I, I can probably count it on one hand. Offering to pray with people, for people, is a great way to engage relationally. I'm not saying only pray for people out there. I mean, listen to Jesus. Pray in your room, too. As a matter of fact, take the names of the people that you're praying for and write it in a notebook and put it on your side table. Hold on to that and pray for their needs. 
what happens is that you'll remember that they are human. I love this about what Jesus is saying. And to be fair, while I love everything that Jesus says, some of it's hard to abide by, isn't it? Now, some of you are like, yeah, this is all easy. I'm good with this. Can we just take, can we take a, I mean, this is, this is where Anglican and we're not really demonstrative, but I want to ask just for a second, how many of you struggle being obedient to Jesus? I'm just looking for people who didn't raise their hand. That's all. All right. We have to ask that question. Why is it so hard to be obedient to Christ? Right? Jesus sets up these expectations that sound like they are an understood, a natural outcropping of an inward change. When you give to the needy, when you pray, there's this expectation of a response, but the framework is having the right heart about it. Father Matt talked about this last week, orthocardia. The praxis or, or practices is expected to be orthodox. The way we are to do the loving of our neighbor as fellow humans, doing unto them how we expect it to be done to us. But it's the heart behind it that gives it its value. Last week I was at Juiceland on MLK uh, in Cajon. My GPS calls it uh, chicken. Uh, and we were, I was with my niece, and we overheard, no one else's GPS calls it chicken? My GPS calls it chicken. I don't know why. Anyway, sorry. We were there, I was with my niece, and we heard, I overheard one of the workers there say, say it with your heart. And I was like, what did she just say? Like, I'm in, I'm in sermon prep, right? And so, like, I hear, say it with your heart. And I'm like, wait, what, what did you just say? She said, say it with your heart. He gave me a compliment, but it was trite. It lacked substance. And so this young man was struggling to give a heartfelt compliment. Angel and I have a friend, Pastor Justin, who years ago was planting a church in East Austin. Uh, in the YMCA, uh, and we joined him, and, and uh, the church was super diverse. Uh, it was a mix of people, the socioeconomically, uh, age, ethnicity, uh, height. <laughs> Some of us stood out in the crowd, uh, but there was one thing in common that Justice, Justin insisted on. We'd adopted a local elementary school, uh, and in the summertime, we would take a list of the, from the parents and from the teachers and ask, what do you need, right? And so some of them needed school supplies. And so our church would collect the school supplies and, and put them in the different classrooms. And other teachers wanted us to paint the rooms. And so we would go in and paint the rooms, right? And sometimes we would just drop off flowers. Like if a teacher didn't want anything, we would just put like some plants or something in there, right? Like how do we love the teachers? But, but Justin had this one thing that he would say. And he would say, if you're not coming because you want to serve the Lord first, if you are coming for any other reason than as an act of worship, then don't. If your heart 
isn't into, isn't in it, don't show up. I remember pulling him aside and and in my naivety, and I was like, "Hey, Justin, that's a really hard way to build a church." Uh, telling people like if their hearts not in it, not to show up. But he was right. The, the head of the church, this Jesus of the cosmos, this king of the universe, does something for us that is so opposite of being ostentatious, so otherworldly, that he takes the form of a baby, a vulnerable newborn that grows up trying not to make a name for himself. Oftentimes he would heal and he would say, don't say anything, right? Okay, don't tell anybody that this happened. Paul says in Philippians, Jesus made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. He did that for our sake. Jesus sets the standard and we get our ultimate esteem from him, from his love. He chooses to practice all of the love languages, rescuing us, we who were lost and didn't even know it, and those of us who were lost and fully recognized our own depravity. That's, there's this new sense of identity of being his beloved. When you've had your needs met by God, that's simply hard to manufacture. You can't fake being his beloved. I get excited to meet people who know their need of him. There's a different conversation, a different connection, right? I mean, we can have the personal celebrations that, that boost our self-esteem uh, just for a little while, like I'm a great athlete or a great driver or a great musician or a great thinker, a great author or a great humanitarian, or at least I'm pretty good or decent. But when it's quiet and we don't have another human to validate our existence, that foundation is still available to us in King Jesus. This king who invites us in, who knows us by name, this king who offers us sanctuary, this king who rejoices over us, a loving king who knows the depth of human despair. He knows your human hearts that are hurting for your families, for yourselves. This king who has shown up for you, who has sustained you, who has kept you out of the gutter or brought you back from the brink of disaster. This king who sent himself in human form as his human sheep are his hands and feet and they comfort you, this loving king. Our self-justifying esteem ends up in the rear view and our gratitude is front and center, right? With all of this good news that we've been rescued by this king, we get to praise him in word and in deed in word and deed with our hearts. 
may we grow in our desire to have our whole hearts, this new heart of flesh, moved by the things that move the heart of our King. Amen.